You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, City Farming. We'll discuss revitalizing urban land and how using urban green space can develop agricultural and social initiatives in a flourishing food system. It's my pleasure to introduce you, Miriam Waligi, Director of Urban Roots London. Welcome, Miriam. Hello. Thank you, Peggy. Very happy to have you here. Miriam, can you tell us a little bit about Urban Roots London, what it is and what you do? Yeah, of course. So Urban Roots London is an urban agriculture nonprofit here in the city of London. So we work to revitalize underused land in the city uh, for farming. Um, So we work to support and develop an equitable, accessible and diverse food system while strengthening community connections. Oh, what a great purpose. So land that's not being used that could just, it's just sitting there waiting for its next time to shine and enter Urban Roots London and a wonderful group of people with a social and environmental purpose. And what a great program that we're very fortunate to have here in London. And hopefully there's similar other programs like that in communities across Canada. So can you tell us a little bit about what revitalizing urban land is? What does that mean? Urban roots exist to see what's possible. So, you know, there's so many vacant areas with potential, potential for food growth um, and potential for community growth. Uh, when we go about revitalizing this land, we view revitalization as you know bringing life back to these spaces. And life can mean soil vitality and ecosystem growth and bringing, you know, plants and animals animals back into the space, but also means community connections. Wonderful. And so what are some examples of urban space that is just waiting to be revitalized? Yeah, well, if you take 21 Norland Ave, which is the space where Urban Roots currently exists, um, that was a privately owned piece of land that was waiting for development. It had been waiting there for quite a few years. And then, um, you know, the folks who founded Urban Roots London realized it was zoned for agriculture. You know, that's how we kind of came to be born alongside uh, many other twists and turns down the road. Um, But, you know, even if you look at if you can grow in boulevards, in, you know, park spaces, you know, what's possible? Where is there land that could potentially have viable soil? And how can you use that for a more purpose-based use rather than just, you know, grass? Very interesting, because obviously we know about the professional agriculture land, the farms that we have all around us, and we know home Mm -hmm. gardening, the home growers have their own space, but this falls outside both of those categories and it's a unique niche and it's something you've got to have an eye and a creative imagination for and urban roots has done just that and found a great space and why is it important to use urban land to grow food and develop social programs Miriam? so we know that a robust and thriving local food system relies on many types of agricultural models so you know you have those backyard gardens and uh, you know we have local farmers in the rural community but we need to find that bridging gap of what's accessible in the city that isn't just a backyard garden because we know that folks either don't have that they don't it's a barrier they don't have backyard space they don't have the knowledge they don't have the time whatever it might be and bringing in that component of you know education and community connection and accessibility revitalizing urban city spaces kind of is that bridge between the two and we need all of those models in order to have this thriving system yeah so it's just diversifying the scales of agriculture that we see I think 
think that's really well put because we often think that we, uh, or we follow a single story. It's only got to be this food supplier. It has to be this food supply. And we can hear narratives of victims and villains in the whole, in the continuum of food dialogue. But the reality is I love the word that you said, diversifying, not only diversifying in the way the food is produced and delivered, including mm-hmm. urban land, but diversifying in terms of helping people like Urban Roots does with their social programs. And we'll hear more about that in a moment. Marion, it must've taken a lot of planning and organization and certainly a lot of really good control to get a great program like Urban Roots up and running. And I'm wondering if you have any tips or insight to other people in other communities who are listening in, or even Londoners who are considering a project to revitalize space in their area. Can you tell us a little bit about how people get started? Yeah, you know, in the mind of Urban Roots, one of the first things to start considering is building relationships. Um, when you're starting an organization like this. So, you know, that could be a relationship with the city. So you can work to understand the sort of requirements that are needed for uh, an operation like Urban Roots, or it can be relationships with the community to see what the actual needs and wants are, um, or, you know, relationships with other people who have the expertise and knowledge and skill set to be able to contribute to a project like Urban Roots. Um, because this is certainly not a one-person show. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is fin- financial sustainability. Um, so when you have an organization like this, there's, of course, capital costs and, you know, uh, expenses to to operate it. So thinking about, you know, how is that revenue going to come in? How is that, how are those funds going to come in? And how can it be done in a way that's sustainable so that there is, you know, this long-term impact of the work that you're doing. And then, uh, so you have this financial sustainability, and then you can look at the impact. So, you know, what is the actual impact you as an organization are looking to have? Wonderful. So you sort of come all the way back to the beginning, which you have this really strong purpose Mm -hmm. and that binds everybody and past the initial conversations that everyone's really excited about this amazing purposes. There does need to be a network of support in ideologically, policy-wise, removing barriers-wise, governance, whatever that may be, but also financially. And they need those things to be sustainable and to be successful. And so obviously Urban Roots has done a fantastic job doing that. And as you had said, that measuring that impact so that people know what their support has um, done in terms of the contribution to the world. But also I think then that helps sustain and attract either more funding or greater networks or what have you. So it really just is the good news travels and you do need that uh, architecture behind to make it stay in place and and last, which is wonderful. And we've talked a little bit about revitalizing urban space and how to do that, but I'd love to shift our gears now, Miriam, just before the break to the social benefits of running a program like Urban Roots, because that's almost as exciting as the, or equally as exciting as the sustainability and revitalizing land. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, goodness. I, my own heart, I, it's definitely an equal, equal balance of the two. Um, There are so, so many benefits of the social components of organizations like Urban Roots. Um, And, you know, it could be community partnerships, it's engaging with the neighbors, it's, you know, having the little kids running around, picking tomatoes off the vine and then just shoving them in their face. It's all of these really, really beautiful things uh, that get to happen when you have community spaces. Um, So, you know, it's having an informed understanding of the needs of the community and being able to address those. 
and, you know, have those connections and relationships with people, whether it's, you know, with the school board or with the neighbors across the street, whoever it might be, you get to know these people and you get to know their joys, their triumphs, their hardships, and all of that just builds this robust community um, that you get to be a part of. That's wonderful. So you're not just uh, in contact with the land, but you really touch into humanity when you're working Mm -hmm. in a program like Urban Roots, which is really, really wonderful. After the break, we'll hear more from Miriam Laligi, Director of Urban Roots London, who will share her expertise on repurposing urban land for agriculture and social uses. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist and host of Food for the Future. The show today is part of the monthly series, City Farming, in which we discuss home growing and urban agriculture as ways to contribute to a flourishing food system. We're speaking with Marian Waligi, Director at Urban Roots London. Marian, I'd like to shift our conversation a little bit now um, from the great social things you're doing and the purpose to revitalize land to a little bit more technical and shift the conversation towards design. And I'm wondering if you could tell us about some of the first steps in starting and growing a program like Urban, Urban Roots in terms of finding land. And once you have the land, then what? Yeah. So I think one of the first things um, is to really do the research. So, you know, there, as we mentioned, there are so many components of, you know, knowing what sort of zoning that you need to be in, um, what sort of soil requirements for the plants that you want to grow. There's all of these things that, um, you know, in order to do well, there's some research that's involved. So that's kind of the first step is, you know, what are your goals for the organization? What do you want to grow? And what do you need from an infrastructure as well as a like a city policy perspective in terms of being actually able to do that? You want to be making sure that you're well within the city rules of uh, the operations that you're doing. Really good advice. So lots of things to look into once you have your incredible purpose, you've got your social network and you've got your financing in place and you've got this land that you want to work with, then it's research time. Um, So a lot of reach and then a little bit more of reflection. And once you get all of that sorted out, you've got your research on what the land will, all of the city rules are in place. Um, all of the relationships between people that are going to be working on the land and all of that sorted out, then you have your land to confront. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. making sure that the land would sustain the types of things you want to grow. How do you decide, are we going to plant strawberries or will it be tomatoes? What is that decision-making process like? Yeah, so it's a little bit of understanding the climate of, you know, Southwestern Ontario or wherever it is that you're planning on doing this growing. Um, Part of it is, you know, what are you excited to grow? Uh, I think that is such a, a big part of it is food is joy. Food should be a part of joy. So, you know, actually growing things that you're excited about and growing things that, you know, depending on the reasons why you're growing them, being comfortable with a little bit of experimentation, being comfortable with trying new things. Um, And for an organization like Urban Roots, where the experimentation is welcome and also we have a social purpose, it's really understanding, you know, what are the balances of risk that we can take and what is the community actually interested in? Um, So, you know, depending on what your purpose is, how can you do culturally appropriate growing? Like how, if you're within a community where 
there's a demographic of people where their culinary experiences uses a lot of eggplant, then grow a lot of eggplant for them. Um, so just, you know, having those conversations, knowing what you want to do, knowing what's possible and, you know, what is beneficial. That's excellent. And I just keep thinking connections, connections, connections. You're just always connected to humanity, the soil, the community, um, mm. the risks. It might grow, it might not grow. Um, and learning as you develop that skill set within your land, it is we have broad rules of thumbs around how to grow certain things and and based on the pH of the soil and whatnot, but there is still mother nature. And sometimes there's, there's a factor you haven't considered. And so that little bit of risk around what are you willing to have, take a chance on and, and diversify, as you said before. So it sounds like the deciding process is just adds to the excitement. What will we grow and where will it go? And in our plot of land, what will be to closer to the West? What might be more in the shade? It sounds like it's just such an exciting educational opportunity for the people that participate in the program. Absolutely. And, you know, if for Urban Roots and, you know, for anyone who might be considering doing this on their own, also knowing if you need some sort of structure or support or outside tools in order to support the growing, what are those? And then what are the financial implications of those as well? So, you know, it's the dreaming and the logic and putting them together to get uh, to get to the sweet spot. Right, right. So watching that dashboard, keeping the dream very, very, very close to your sights, but looking always at what's possible and taking those baby steps. And then all of a sudden something wonderful will happen like your program. So we've talked a little bit about designing of the space. And once you get to that point, now you've got to actually work the land and uh, (laughs) tell me about that process. Cause that can be, we, we are very familiar with weeding and picking and that's hard work as well, but nothing seems to top the actual preparation of the land, the tilling of it and hoeing and raking, or if you need a tractor, Tell us about that process. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's the pre-process of testing the land, testing the soil, testing the water, making sure that everything is safe to grow. Um, and then you go through the planning process. And um, Jeremy, who is one of the other directors on the farm, has this beautiful way of making up these visual representations of what the farm will look like. And I find those to be so valuable because he has them all mapped out. He has an idea of what will grow. You know, he's done the research of what grows well together, what can be companion plants. Um, and then, yeah, it's putting in that muscle work. So that's where we're really grateful to have such an amazing community. Uh, we're really grateful to have such amazing employees um, and going through and, you know, really getting your hands dirty, literally and figuratively, um, tilling that soil, adding that compost, making sure there's enough hydration, all of those things. Uh, yeah, it is a big process. It's a big process. And it does sound like a lot of work picking stones. Somehow they show up every spring when you were sure they were all gone. And when you, you know, signed off in the fall before the snow came, but you know, I have found I've, I've worked the land myself. I have found, yes, it is a lot of work, but you know, there can be some very happy memories there. We, you got to fill time. So we start singing songs or we start, you know, what's your favorite. And, And so there's this 
um, almost through the exhaustion of working the land, this sort of incredible connection that happens there too, just because of that shared experience of, wow, this is hard work, man, oh man, what are we going to do? Or take a joke too far or something like yeah. that. And it just keeps going. What's well, not funny anymore, but you still, you know, I, I, you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You worked the land, you know what we're saying here. So yeah. it's just a, another thing that's, um, you know, on the surface may seem undesirable, but really with the purpose of what the program is doing, and then the, just the fun of doing it and, and powering through the hard work with someone. It, it really is a great experience and working the land can be really, really rewarding. So speaking of rewarding, it sounds like Urban Roots is just such an amazing place to work. And I'm wondering, what's one of the most heartfelt experiences that you've had in the program? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> it's hard to pick just one. Um, the one that comes up for me is I worked with a really, really great group of kids um, through the Thames Valley District School Board, their environmental leadership group. Um, so it was folks from across the school board who are participating in this program. And I had gone in to go speak with them and, you know, gave them a little bit of a introduction to me, an introduction to the organization, and then they were going to come out to the farm. And they were going to come out to the farm for a few different, uh, a few different trips. And so the first time they came, it was great. Um, we all had so much fun. We had some great conversations. And then their teacher sent me an email saying that they had passed by Urban Roots. Oh, and goodness, I cry every time I say it. <laughs> um, but they passed by Urban Roots on a different field trip. And they said, hey, that's our farm. Um, Aww, created an identity with such a short experience. And it was their yeah. farm. And yeah. so when you hear your purpose come back to you outside the people who whose purpose it is, what a wonderful, wonderful gift. That's, that's such a great story. And thank you so much for sharing it. And there's so, so many more. And your website is wonderful. And the smiling faces in the community, um, not only the whole community that you're supporting, but the social work that you're doing is, is wonderful. I'm wondering if you just have a final message that you want to share with listeners about urban roots, revitalizing urban land or social purposes in agriculture. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of a theme of our conversation today is that community is a beautiful thing. Um, and so being able to be connected with the people and the land that make up the spaces we exist in is so important. And being able to invest in that is so important. So finding that balance of, you know, informed decisions and thinking outside the box is really where that magic happens. And we can all spend a little time in that magic spot. What a wonderful, wonderful final message, finding a little time in that magic spot, that connection and just a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Miriam. Our conversation today has left me really uplifted and inspired. And I'm so happy to live in a community with people like yourselves and everyone at Urban Roots who continue to make the program possible, not just the agricultural and the sustainable dimension, but all that you're doing for the social aspects that are involved in the Urban Roots program. And thank you very, very much for sharing your experiences and hope today. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for having the organization. Um, this was lovely. Oh, it was our sincere pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Mariam Waligi, Director at Urban Roots London. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? How could you use the space available to your family to grow food? Something to do? Visit the Urban Roots website to find out more about this incredible urban agriculture program. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll feature Alan Mayu from Downey Street Bakehouse in Stratford, Ontario. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. 
Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.